couple of questions for you. When was the last time you led anyone to Christ? You had that privilege? Remember the last time? It's been a while for me. Have you ever led anyone to Christ? Now, if you haven't had opportunity to pray the sinner's prayer with someone at some stage, that's okay. The sinner's prayer is not actually in the Bible. So, St. Peter won't be at the pearly gates checking out your numbers before you get in to make sure that you've done enough. That's not the way it works. That's also not, it's not what God has actually asked us to do. What the Lord has commanded us to do is to love others, make disciples, and in the words of the Apostle Peter, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. First Peter chapter 3 verse 15. So a better question is, when was the last time you shared the hope that you have? When was the last time anyone asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have? Another question might be, does anyone in your life actually think that you have hope? If you're not sharing your faith, if you're not sharing your hope, do you know why you're not? See, tonight, after singing those songs and reaching out to my Lord, I'm filled with hope. And when I walk out the door, I still believe the same things. I have so much hope for my life and for my eternity. But then I get into some kind of random conversation with the guy behind the counter at the petrol station. And it's like, I don't know, I forget about the hope I have. Suddenly the, the thing that was the most important in my life, I just forget about it. And it falls away to the background. And for some reason, the most value that I have to share with this man now it's my thoughts on the opening partnership for the Black Caps. There's some value in that. But not much. And nothing eternal. It's like when I'm in here with you, on the job, preaching the word, it's easy. But obviously I'm preaching to the converted. You have the same hope I have. I walk out the door, and who do I become? It's like I become someone else. What is holding me back? How prepared do you feel? How prepared do you think you are to share the hope 
that you have. That was Peter's challenge for us. Always be prepared. Are you prepared tonight? What do you need to equip you and motivate you to share your faith with those God leads you to? Evangelism, the ministry of the good news of God's kingdom, is a calling and a ministry that God is calling us to recommit ourselves to. And it's an area that we will be investing in quite heavily over the next couple of months as we focus on this aspect of our discipleship through our furnace services on Sunday nights, starting in a couple of weeks. Who who uh, was able to participate in our Ignite services? Okay. I Some very special times with you through that. And the Lord challenged me with a lot of things, and I've grown through that. What we wanted to do next is take the core of that community discipleship environment, learning together, challenging each other, encouraging each other, and take some some core, I guess, pillars of discipleship from that and focus on it intensively for a period of weeks. The first one, we're going to take six weeks to equip and encourage each other in the area of evangelism, of sharing faith. There are a number of things holding us back from influencing others for God's kingdom. We want to start chipping away at those obstacles and equipping each other to be the ambassadors that God has called us to be. So we want you to start thinking about that. Thinking about the influence that you are having for God and and the world that you live in. And ask yourself and ask him, what is holding you back? If you're anything like me, you think about it for half a second, you are woefully dissatisfied with yourself. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm embarrassed. I'm paid to be a Christian. But I seem to struggle just as much as anyone else out the door. So we're going to be working on that. Maybe you don't think you know enough. Let's have a look at that just quickly. John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. If you have scriptures, give you a second just to turn there. Gospel of John chapter 1. Reading from verse 29. The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, 
they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw John's disciples following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew didn't know very much about Jesus. He didn't have his theology worked out. He didn't have the four spiritual laws and his sinner's prayer nailed. All he knew was Jesus was the Messiah. And he shared what he knew with his brother Simon. And he brought him to meet the Savior that he'd found. Andrew didn't let his lack of knowledge stop him from sharing the hope that he had found. Andrew didn't have much of a testimony yet, but what he did have, he shared. If a lack of knowledge is holding you back from sharing your faith with others, you've got to let it go. If you have hope in Christ, you have a testimony. It's not knowledge that is holding people back from surrendering to Christ. There are people in the world who have much greater knowledge of the scriptures than I do. Greater knowledge of the history of Israel, the history of the church. But they haven't surrendered to the Lord. And so they have no testimony. It's not knowledge that we need. It's faith. And you have faith to share with others. Sharing a testimony of faith can be very daunting for a lot of believers, myself included. But there is so much power in it. So I'm looking forward to Furnace where we'll be equipping each other to share the faith that we have to share the hope that we have, to share testimony, to engage with people in real conversations about things that really matter. If you're imagining, as perhaps other courses you've been involved in the past, that we'll be training people up with how to use tracks and sending you out to street corners. That isn't actually what we're looking to do. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And there is some real ministry in that. But what we feel God is calling us to do is to be real, spirit-filled believers, ambassadors, children of the living God in our life, be it at work, be it at home, that we would carry his grace, his hope, his love with us wherever we go, not hiding it away, but being true to who we really are. But it seems like we need encouragement in that so that's what we want to be investing in I love the story of the cripple and his friends in Mark chapter 2 
Love the story. Crazy story. Let's turn to Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, digging through the roof until an opening was there and they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Oh, that's awesome. Personally, I'm not impressed with the miracle. This is Jesus. It's the Son of God. That's bread and butter for him. He wakes up in the morning, heals someone. That's just him. That's the power of God. Of course, he can't forgive, forgive sins. That's what he does. He came to forgive sins and redeem us back to the Father. That's, once again, that doesn't really impress me. I've, be, I've just become used to Jesus doing things like that. What blows me away in this story is four crazy men who climbed on a roof with a paralyzed friend. How they got him up there, I'm not quite sure. I don't know. Was it? I don't know what it was made of. Probably made of hard packed dirt with branches. They they dug a hole. Did they? Were they carrying spades or they do it with their hands? They dug a hole through the roof to get their friend to Jesus. They obviously had faith that something remarkable would happen and it was worth the effort. But they also obviously had so much love to motivate them to do whatever it cost. Every time I read that story, I like to look up at a roof and imagine things falling down on me. Falling down in a packed room as some guys up there are digging through and suddenly you see the sunlight come down as the hole opens up. And Jesus is preaching. He's preaching to them. And there's, I don't know, there's dirt and branches falling on him. And he's going to have to take a break and deal with this. But it becomes this powerful object lesson. First of all, he has the authority of God to forgive sins. He's the authority to heal. But also this great image of of a group of guys doing whatever it takes to get someone to meet Jesus. 
I think there's so much of our calling in there. Jesus responded in quite a remarkable way, a surprising way. I'm not sure about the theology of what Jesus does here. It says, when Jesus saw the faith of the crippled man's friends, when he saw their faith, not the faith of the crippled man, when he saw their faith, he not only healed his paralysis, but he healed his spiritual affliction and forgave his sin. He responded to what he saw in them, not in him. I'm not, I don't even know what that means. But I think, how much love and faith do I have for my friends, for my family? Can my faith and my love move the hand of God in grace for them? Because you better believe God is a lot more loving and gracious than I am. Thank you. This man came to be saved and healed because his friends would stop at nothing to get him to Jesus. Getting their friend to Jesus. Their job was logistics. They just had to get him to a place where they could meet him. It's not, we're not talking about, you know, a venue. It's about a real encounter with God. That's what they facilitated. And they didn't let anything stop that happening. I personally have often struggled with a sense of urgency with sharing my faith with others outside of a church service. There are people in my life who have not reconciled with God, and this bothers me. But it isn't bothering me enough to do a whole lot about it. That's my problem. That's what I pray for. My prayer is that God would give me a heart that breaks the way his breaks, a heart that breaks for the lost, a heart that puts them before my own comfort. Because what I've found, and maybe you have as well, is that sharing with others on spiritual matters can be quite uncomfortable. No one find those conversations uncomfortable? So I pray that God would break my heart for the lost and spur me to action. It never feels to me like there's an opportune time to share my faith. It never feels like a good time. It always feels awkward, like I'm trying to manufacture something. And so it's always easy just to walk away and say, oh, okay, no, it's not the time. I'm so challenged by the passion of the friends of the disabled man who rather than waiting for a more convenient time to introduce their friend to Jesus, they just made it happen. They made that the time. It became their top priority, and they moved heaven and earth and roofing tiles to make it happen. I need my passion, my motivation, my love for the loss to grow and to burn in me. That's another reason why I'm looking forward to Furnace. Hopeful that that environment, in that I will be encouraged by you and, more importantly, the Spirit of God in you to spur me on to greater love 
and greater deeds. I know of some testimonies around this room now that I'll, we want to see uh, unlocked for the church in the coming weeks, testimonies of how God is moving through people here, people who push through their insecurities to allow God to minister powerfully to people. There is grace flowing through people in this room that is touching people out there in the community. We need to hear those stories because they do encourage us and spur us on to greater things. Another thing I take from these stories in John and Mark is the clarification on what my role actually is in this process of evangelism. And I allow myself to get quite confused uh, in that. My, my only real career has been in, in church ministry. I was in uh, youth ministry for 10 years. I facilitated a lot of youth outreaches, did a lot of gospel camps, brought in a number of different training paradigms to equip young people to share faith. And uh, I strongly believe in, in teaching and equipping and, and the mandate we carry to share faith. But certainly uh, the, the burden that I placed on myself and on the young people I ministered to was pretty full on. Uh, you, had to, you had to know everything. You needed to be trained in apologetics. You needed to be able to refute all these points on evolution and and every other thing. And if you, if you couldn't really do this, you, well, you weren't, you probably weren't called to evangelism and, um, best leave that to someone who, who really knew what was going on in the universe. What I have come to discover is that, uh, God doesn't need me to save anyone. He doesn't need me to fight his battles. He doesn't need me to defend him. Uh, he doesn't need me to break down every intellectual argument out there against him. Uh, he would appreciate it if I was consistent with what I say and what I do. That, that would be helpful for the cause. Turns out there's a few of us running around saying one thing and doing another, and that makes people confused about what it means to follow Christ. Uh, Jesus has let me know that he's got the salvation thing covered. Uh, and what he needs me to do is to love him, to love others, follow him consistently, and let the light that he's put in me shine out. So basically, he wants me to be a Christian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds, sounds like a good idea when you say it like that. Uh, doesn't it? The ministry of, of evangelism, uh, most of it's done when you consistently live out the life of a disciple of Christ. Fortunately, the church has become a bit preoccupied with some kind of structured ministry out there and forgot about some of the core principles of just following him. So yeah, maybe we're just a bit more loving to us, to ourselves, to each other, and to the world. Uh, people would find it easier to receive a message of love, of forgiveness, of compassion. 
As I read about Andrew and the crippled man's friends, I'm encouraged to see that our role is to bring people to Jesus. It's all Andrew did. I think we found him, bro. And he took him to Jesus and let Jesus fill in the rest. Crippled man's friends, they brought him into an encounter with Jesus. And when he met Jesus, his life was changed. Jesus heals. He saves. He transforms. We make the introduction. We walk with people. We walk them to Jesus. And then we walk with them and Jesus. That's evangelism and discipleship right there. It's walking. We walk with people. We walk them to Jesus. We walk with them in Jesus. What we need to know is Jesus. The more of him we know, the more we have to share with others. Not doctrine, not apologetics, but a real relationship with him. Let me tell you about the Jesus that I know. Not how double predestination impacts your ability to choose or not choose. That made no sense to you. Good. Evangelism, the sharing of the good news, flows out of our relationship with Christ and our ministry will grow as our relationship grows. This is, by the way, exactly how it's supposed to work with all kingdom ministry. It all flows out of relationship. I'm sure that you don't need any convincing that you should be sharing your faith with others. And I am not here to give anyone a guilt trip about this. I know it just as much as anyone else. And uh, and there is no guilt. There is no condemnation in Christ. All I have is an awesome vision to aspire to. And so that's what I want to grow with you too. So there's no condemnation here. Just something that we can work on together. What we recognize is that although we know we should be sharing, for a number of reasons we don't. At least not very often. Not necessarily as a, as a normal part of our lives. God is calling us to address that. So over the course of uh, this first six-week furnace module, we will be exploring the mission of evangelism and equipping each other in God's anointing so that we would understand and carry God's heart for the lost, we'd understand and undertake the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us, we'd understand our role and God's role in this, we'd understand the motivation of love required to reconcile others to Christ, that we would be equipped to confidently share the good news about Christ and equipped to confidently share our personal testimony and engage with people in spiritual conversations which would allow us to share hope. The Apostle Peter commended us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that's what Furnace is really about. It's about preparing us to be who we're called to be. 
and share what he's given us to share. So if you need help to share the hope you have in Christ, you join us here. Sunday nights, kicking off on the 9th of March, 6pm. If we let him, God will teach us and empower us to take his hope to the world. We'd really appreciate it if you would register for this. We want to we wanna do this in groups and we find it to be a really, really effective way to uh, encourage each other to do it in groups, to challenge each other, to follow each other up, to encourage each other, to pray with each other, uh, to eat a wonderful antipasto platter. Brought by Heather Gwynn. I'm joining your table, by the way. We found that discipleship was always supposed to be a team sport, and we're finding so much blessing in doing it that way. So just for, for logistics and for organising that, we'd appreciate if you could register for this. And we're also looking, it's, it's a six-week thing, six Sunday nights, dedicating ourselves to grabbing all we can in this area of, of faith sharing. So we'd ask you to, to commit to six weeks with us on this journey so that we can walk this together.